Welcome to the Candor Communication Podcast, where we discuss interpersonal communication and all the human stuff that gets in the way. Join us as we learn to get our message across with more courage, clarity, and connection. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Divan. We all need to influence people every day. Persuading colleagues to help us with a task or a project. Hiring someone. Getting hired. Closing a deal. Asking someone on a date. Deciding whose parents to visit in the holidays. Putting your kids to bed at night. All of these require us to influence people. They require us to sell an idea or to sell ourselves. In other words, we are selling something every day. We may as well learn how to do it well. Today we talk to Steve Nudelberg about his refreshing approach to sales, which is all about building relationships. Steve Nudelberg is an author, expert sales trainer, consultant, keynote speaker, and serial entrepreneur. His latest company, On The Ball, invests time and talent in emerging businesses and corporate teams to help them grow. Steve's book, Confessions of a Serial Salesman, shares the 27 core leadership rules of engagement that he has cultivated from over 40 years of sales experience and relationships with top performers all over the world. In this episode, we talk about ideas from his book, and Steve shares these experiences related to sales, leadership, and family. We hope you enjoy this energetic conversation with Steve Nudelberg. Hey, Steve, welcome to the show. Such a pleasure to be here. The modern technology of it all, 16 hours ahead, and we're making it happen. So good. Great <laughs> job. Great job, guys. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? And we're pretty excited to kind of talk to you, really looking at sales um, and how it relates to communication. But before we really get going, why should everybody or anybody care about selling? So it's an interesting paradigm because for most people, when they hear the word selling, they're turned off. Nobody wants to be sold, you know, the images of being forced by a used car guy come to mind. God, when I told my parents that's where I was going to be, like, what? You know, um, so what I think people need to understand is that every single phase of your life, someone is selling and someone is being sold. So anything you've ever gotten in your life, any restaurant you've ever been in, if you want to see the right doctors, there's a degree of persuasion that is taking place. And the better you are at communicating who you are, what your value proposition is, there really is no selling. It's actually more serving, which is how I built my career. Uh, fantastic. And, and I love your opening comment. The first thing I thought of is someone told me a long time ago, uh, Mark, you can't be in sales. You're too honest. In sales, you need to have a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a shame. Bit more of, yeah, <laughs> you, it's a, you need to have a little bit more of a, a way to be able to really close. And to do that, you need to be able to, you know, manipulate a, a bit more than, than, you know, what I think you're capable of. What do you think of that? So, so I think that's where things have changed dramatically. We're living in a world where it's much more transparent. There's much more genuine and authentic 
you know, human beings connecting. And so for me, what I've seen the transformation, I've been being in sales for over 40 years. My family was in the retail business and, you know, I've carried that tradition on and started my own businesses across lots of different platforms. People don't buy from people that they don't like. And so really it's a popularity contest not a contest of how much can I force feed you. Um, you know, the word sales is a derivative of a Scandinavian word, which means to serve somewhere along the line, management pushed salespeople into creating false, you know, um, ideas of what expectations could be, you know, it was all about making a number, well, I never trained or worked with my people that way. We, from day one in my early businesses, built relationships at scale. Relationships turn out to be people who can either consume your product or know somebody who can. And it's a much more fun, value-based approach to the business. Than, and, and I think people are finally starting to see that even with social media tools, look, the way we've connected is strictly through social media. We didn't really know each other, but you got a good look at who I am and what I do and who I do it with. So it's hard to hide if you're really not a good guy. Yeah. And I find it really interesting, this balance between influence and manipulation. How do you make that distinction? Because it can be a fine line, can it? Isn't it? Well, I think, you know, and I use this word a lot, whatever your intention is, if your intention is to manipulate people and move them to a decision that favors you and not them, that will ultimately come back to to haunt you. You know, so for me, throughout my whole career, and this freaked people out, I would look at people and go, listen, thanks for engaging with me, but you're really not a fit for what I do. And they would go, what do you mean I'm not a fit? And almost (laughs) like turned around. And Mm. the reality is I said, listen, there are solutions that you can find that are better served than me. I knew where I wanted to be and I was willing to put the work in to meet those people who met my criteria and who should be doing business with me. And so you know, the, the fundamental way that people have been trained in sales is on features and benefits. And then, boom, they throw them in and they, okay, now you know the product, you know the features and all the benefits. Now go and get me business. Um, the word no was, was never told to them as something that was acceptable, yet it's the most powerful uh, word in the vocabulary because if you understand what you do, who you're supposed to do, and you stay disciplined to it, uh, the riches are amazing uh, beyond the economics, the people I've met, the engagements I've been involved in. And so I've been so fortunate that my view of sales is finally coming around into something that is vogue right now. So. No, I love, I love it. There's, uh, there's a line that I think of, uh, a quote that goes along the lines of, nothing speaks as loud as who you are and do you find in sales that it's you know people are buying from people that they're actually buying from the person and the relationship and that trust with the person um probably more so than perhaps or or, or thinking about that before they even think about what, what are they actually selling 
is do I like that person? So that's a great assessment of where we are. Um, if you remember going to parties pre-pandemic, people would walk in and introduce themselves by saying, oh, hi, I'm a banker, I'm a, a salesman, I'm an insurance guy, and I work with XYZ company. Um, so I think where the, the, it's tipped now is who you are is much more important than what you do. And uh, fundamentally, if you're a bad person, you're going to be bad at whatever you do. You know, people aren't going to react well to you. They're not going to refer you. So never before have the, the tools been available for you to share with people who you are, what you love to do, who you love to do it with. I mean, uh, social media, you know, I've been involved in social media for years now, seven plus eight years, you know, and I share a lot about my family. I work with my boys. The family side of things is so important as a connection point for people who say, wow, I admire that. I respect that. I want to do business with somebody like that. There was never a forum to share those kind of things about what my passions are. It was only product-based. And so those who have grabbed it and say, I'm willing to share who I am, their um, ability to scale their business has really changed. Yeah, and I think often when I hear people talking about being successful, you often hear about it as a dichotomy. You either have success in business or success at home. Uh, you tend to, they, they kind of say it's one or the other, but you seem from just being able to kind of see how your relationships with your, with your sons are as, a, as an indicator to me, it seems to have both. So you you finding them mutually supportive or mutually exclusive? Because I think that's something that a lot of people get tripped up by. So I think that the pandemic was a big wake-up call for a lot of people in business who made choices, sacrifices that they were trained to do. Oh, you got to get up early and leave the house and go to work and work a 12-hour day. And the sacrifice was your family. You can have it all if you make the right choices. And so, you know, a lot of the coaching that we do with people is managing the clock, you know, understanding that their calendar is theirs, not allowing other people to put their desires in my calendar. And so for me, the pillars of strength as a human being are family first, you know, family over everything. I don't believe that there's success without family. So, you know, the relationship I have with my boys that I can share with people is totally genuine and totally real. And so many people have reached out to us and said, wow, I just love the work that you do with your boy. It makes me feel really good about my dad or my son or my daughter. And that's a real lever for doing business with us. When before, if it was apples to apples, people used to do it on price or, you know, or product. That's way down the list now when customers have many more choices. They look for these places to connect on family, on recreation, what you do for, you know, runners and people are into health and fitness and mind and body. And, you know, those are the things that bring people closer to engaging in some type of business relationship when those things get checked. Oh, we're aligned. Oh, we're aligned. Oh, we're aligned. And so 
I think in a world where just about everything is a commodity, the only thing that you have really that's unique, your differentiating you know, value proposition, if you will, is you. And if you're willing to share who you are um, and you really legitimately are what you say you are, boy, the riches are fantastic. I've met people all over the globe. I mean, meeting you guys, I've never been to Australia, but you know, I feel like you know, we've developed a friendship prior to this. Now we're doing this together. And this is all a byproduct of the tools that are available to all of us that instead of complaining, you know, really start embracing, you know, how much better it is right now. I love it. I love what you have to say. And it sounds so exciting. It sounds fantastic that you've, you've got it with the family, you've got it with um, your business, your your jobs. From what I um, understand about you, you've been a highly successful salesperson over, over many, many years. And I want to dig deeper into Devan's question. Can you really have it all? And what I, what I mean by that is often there's a cost or a selfishness associated with being very good at a particular activity. I think of like a good sportsman, good sports person who is training, they are dedicated, they are getting up early morning, they are exercising. Um, you know, if they are married, surely their, their wife or spouse or, or girlfriend or husband um, has to be picking up some of the slack or, or, or living part of their life without them because they are, they are committed to what they're doing. Have you had any experience with being, you know, self-absorbed with trying to be highly successful in a particular pursuit and experience some sort of cost or, or challenge in a relationship? So that's a really, really, really smart question. And I'll tell you why, because to your point, um, you have to understand what you're willing to give up in order to get what you want. But the other side of that equation is, most people, and this is where really high-level coaching comes in, have no idea what they want. They've been told or shown through advertising or you know family influence, oh, this is what you should do and this is what you should be. And you know, kids especially that are graduating and going into jobs where they get mortgaged and they're working 80 hours a, a week, you know, th- they didn't know any better. They were pushed in this way by social mores. So I think one of the big challenges for people is to really look themselves in the mirror and understand what they want. Because the minute you understand what you want, then you can understand the choices you need to make in order to get there. And it's not 100% one way or the other way. There's always give and take that says, I'm going to do this, but... I mean, guys like Richard Branson, who by most people's standards are super, super um, successful, he has dinner with his family every night. You know, that was a choice. You know, so you can have it all if you take the time and the effort to decide what it is you actually want. I think most people work on false pretenses. They have no idea what they want. They climb a mountain, they get to the top and they go, wow, this is it. This is, this is what I worked my whole life for. What, what a shame. I mean, there's, you know, there's regret and disappointment there because, you know, I will tell you in the early part of my career, which was mostly entrepreneurial, we built some very big companies. I made more money than I thought I could ever 
that I had ever dreamed of making. But the reality was money was not the elixir for me. Money comes and goes. I've had money. I've lost money. I understood only after the fact that that wasn't the the trick. The that wasn't the thing that was going to make me happy. You know, for me, my why, and you hear lots of people talk about their why, was my ability to transfer what I know to other people. That gift, whether it's on stage or one on one or one to group, you know, or doing it in a format like this, is the greatest thing I've ever done. There's no money, there's no zeros you could pay me that would replace that. But that took a long time and a certain sense of maturity to get to where I said, wow, I was chasing, someone had told me early in my career, and it, it was a game changer, what happens if you climb the corporate ladder just to realize it's leaning against the wrong building? And, and I was that guy, I was chasing hard and cars and houses and vacations. And one day I looked around and I had nothing, I was miserable. I just couldn't fill the void. And so when you really stop and really take the time to be self-aware of what it is you actually want, not because your friends or your parents or your family want you to do that, it's very deep work, but it's very gratifying. And when you do what you love, the money follows. Yeah, wow. That, that's awesome. And it's almost like you almost wish everyone had a lot of money early on so they can realize it's not the answer. <laughs> It, um, you know, it's, it's a hard thing because it looks like the easy fix is yeah. I'll just pay for it, but, um, it complicates things with everybody and everything. It's never enough. You're either gaining money or losing money. There is no static. Yeah. Okay. I've got this. Um, when the rewards of doing what I love with the people that I love, um, is just magical. It, it really is a special place to be. And, and look, I know it feels like you're probably drilling very deep into into this topic, but I'm I'm really curious, and I'd love love to know a bit more, even because I look at the way that your sons basically, I mean, I would say look up to you in the way that um, from your book, I can see a lot of the stuff that you've written are stuff that they live by, the stuff that they value, things that they respect and revere, and I would think a lot of a lot of people would look at that with quite a bit of envy. And think, oh, I wish I had that kind of relationship with my kids at that age, right? Because it's kind of like a period where when they're older, that's really where you can kind of see what's come out the other end, right? Because with parenting, you like you don't know what's going to work and what, what the result's going to be until they've grown up. So I'm, I'm curious to know, what do you think have been the factors that have been really important in having the relationship you have with your kids now that you might maybe have put in over their lifetime? So I think you hit it on the head. It, what you're seeing is the result of a lifetime of attention, a lifetime of, um, I was not one of those dads that gave a trophy for everything. I let my kids understand what winning and losing was like. I wanted them to understand that losing hurts. There's pain associated with that, that you have a choice. Um, you have a choice that will allow you to dictate behavior in the future. So, you know, from the get-go, my relationship with my boys was very genuine and very real. And I said, look, you're in my life. I'm not in yours. 
My role is to teach you and create a roadmap of how we show up, what's acceptable. I mean, look, I was, you know, a big part of my career was in sports. We had unbelievable access. So they got to go to places and see things that a lot of kids didn't. But, I, you know, I made sure that they understood the value of that. I made sure that, you know, we would go and see other kids yelling and screaming and running around, which was completely unacceptable, non-negotiable <laughs> behavior. And you see it now and you go out, you see kids acting foolish. That was not anything that could happen because I didn't allow it to happen. So the systems, the processes, the mindset that they were brought up in, they carry to this day and they value it. They understand it. Uh, my older son now has a son and he's delivering the same kind of you know, value system where, you know, I think, you know, and I'm fortunate I get to deal with a lot of other entrepreneurs who have really smart things to say. Uh, Jesse Itzler, who is a friend and just did my uh, unbelievable entrepreneur, just did my podcast. And he points to his parents saying that thankfully they allowed him to understand what disappointment was and what boredom was. Parents won't allow their kids to be bored. They're constantly stimulated. You know what? Sometimes you just got to make do on your own. So all those little things that I did years ago, which may or may not have been vogue, other parents didn't really dig it, but I was very open, very honest, very transparent, and just it was what I was willing or not willing to accept from them that, you know, that they are the byproduct of that now. And I always made it important that they knew they always had access to me. They always, it was always, no matter what it was, good or bad, that I was interested in them and we would deal with it as it comes. And, you know, the the payoff is what you see and what I get to experience every day. We have mutual respect. Um, It's phenomenal. You know, it's really, and people do have envy. Um, Envy is a mindset. It's a wasted emotion, I think. Do something about it. You know, you can never too late. <laughs> yeah. It's never too late. That's right. I, I love what you're saying. I love your story. Um, my father was very tough or is very tough. And, you know, he was quite strict when we were growing up. And he wanted to teach us uh, a lot of things in, in being strict and having that tough sort of love. Uh, and I also think it was a product of, of his childhood too. Me and my brothers and sisters, we really love him for that as adults now. We feel we've learned so much for his tough love. My wife's father was a very gentle man and very soft and very, you know, you know wasn't afraid to show his emotion and express his love uh, and, and was almost the opposite sort of uh, father to mine. And she loved him for that. <laughs> and, and it's very interesting when, when we parent now to strike the balance between a, a tough love parent and a gentle, constantly giving, softer style of parenting. Do you have a, what, what was your approach? Were you more the, the tougher, stricter parent, the disciplinarian, um, or do you describe yourself as the softer? So um, I write about it in my book. Uh, the strongest influence in my life was my grandfather. When I decided to join the family business, um, my dad said, I'm going to have you work with your grandfather. And I was like, I don't want to work with him. I want to work with you. And he said, no, 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 no. That's who you're going to be with. That's the master. That's where you'll learn it all. 
And there was no tougher love than that guy, almost to the point where there were times I wanted to come to blows with him. I was like, I, you know, but he said to me, he said something to me, and, and I am forever indebted to him. He said, every time I break you down, you're going to get up stronger. And while I didn't love while it was happening, um, in, retro, in retrospect, he built me into a very strong-willed person. And in the companies that I've been involved in, I was known as a really tough guy, similar to my grandfather, but all of those people 25 or 30 years ago are now in management positions, have their own company, and they will tell you, I couldn't be where I am without you being that guy that just wouldn't accept mediocrity. I don't accept mediocrity. When I look at people and I know what they're capable of doing and giving, I wasn't willing to give in to what they were willing to give in. And I think you got to be blessed to be around people like that who, you know, in the end, um, maybe there was a softer way I could have achieved the same goal. I only did what came naturally to me and I'm clearly not as tough as I, I once was. I think my son has a, a, a different approach but there's sometimes no substitute for just being the bad guy. You know, someone needs to be the bad guy. And the takeaways from stuff like that last forever. So you, you can't be everybody's best friends. I think in a lot of the leadership stuff we deal with, you know, people have a tendency to not want to be the bad guy. They don't want to deliver bad news. They want everybody to love them. and the trick in life is to have everybody respect you, not everybody love you. And if you get to that point, which I've been fortunate, you know, I, the, the weakness of wanting everybody to love me went away when the right people respect me. Right. Yeah. I like that. And, and then you're very big on systems, processes in order to, to get your results is the impression I get, right? And yet relationships are very important to you from, a, you know, in terms of that's how your whole approach to sales has been is that return on relationship. How do you systemize relationships? Is there, are there things that you do, that processes that you have in place that help you to build better relationships? Because the two seem to be, but counterintuitive, right? Like you wouldn't put one with the other necessarily, but do you see an overlap there? So go back to the beginning of our conversation. I talked about intention. I legitimately am okay if you don't buy from me. And so my system is to build quality relationships at scale. And if I did that on a daily basis, and regardless of the time of life for me, whatever tools were available. It was going to networking events. It was being visible at sporting events or being ahead of it in social media, creating awareness of who you are and legitimately and genuinely engaging in positive relationships, not to sell them. People understand that. People know when your agenda is to sell them, they feel it. Um, yeah. And even if you fake it in the beginning, the first time you, they go, aha, I knew it. Um, so <laughs> yeah. if you systematize that and say, 
the work I need to do every day is based on making five new relationships every day, not five sales, five new relationships. It's 25 a week. It's a hundred a month. It's 300 a quarter. It's 1200 a year times 10, you know, um, every single day, like you're going to a factory, you will make enough relationships that the right people raise their hand and go, Hey, I like what you do. I'd like to talk about it further. Not me ever pitching. Um, I believe when you, anybody pitches, people ditch, man. They go the other way. They don't, they don't want to be part of that. So for me, early understanding of business was um, the only difference between contacts and contracts is the R, which stands for relationships. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's a great question. It is a great one. Uh, I mean, there's another, I often think of sayings when you talk, uh, sayings so uh, your network is your net worth is, is one of, it sounds like you live by. Um, I have been, you know, I set out early on in my career to make sure that everybody knew who I was. I didn't want to sell everybody. And I trained my companies to do the same thing, be visible so that when they make a decision in what we do, we're one of the choices. And that philosophy um, has um, worked for me. And now with the tools that are available, can meet people all over the world um, with clicks of buttons, um, sharing who I am, what makes me tick, uh, giving value first, which drives salespeople, the sales world crazy. Well, what do you mean? They got to pay for that. No, give it away and watch it boomerang right back at you. And so, um, you know, if you were to follow me on social media, I give away a lot of how I think and what I do. And people all over the globe are reaching out going, wow, I really needed that today. This was amazing. This was perfect with no ask, no ask in return. And our business is highly robust because people sample it. They get comfortable with us. And then they ask, hey, what's it like to work with you? How could we do this? And here's what I want to get. And it's a whole different game when someone asks you versus you pitching them. Yeah, and it builds a lot of trust as well. I think I was I was just talking to someone yesterday and they're like, look, I just want to get to know you. And I, and I was like, I know I knew that this guy had a business and I knew that, oh, maybe we can work together in the future. But I knew if he pitched me, I probably would have been like, mm, it sounds like you're more interested in yourself than in me. I don't know if I'm really up for this, but he didn't bring it up at all. He like he, he was seriously interested in the relationship, and that immediately um, built trust. And I was like, this is the kind of guy I want to work with because I feel like he's got my best interests at heart. So it seems like you really live by that. And, and I really want to kind of also look at how do you create that, right? So in terms of, and I know that. Words matter. The The words you choose have a big impact. And I know your three favorite words are visit, fit, and value. Can you, can you talk about those? Correct. So I think uh, the sales world got wrapped around a metric that is about meetings and appointments. And, you know, for me, appointments are with a doctor or a dentist. There isn't anybody I know that <laughs> wants to do that meetings, no. there are too many meetings already. So, yeah. and meetings in and of itself sound adversarial. 
let's meet. You'll sit across the room and we will meet and we will decide. And um, so I just said to my teams early on, that doesn't make sense to me. Let's just visit with people. Let's just see as many people as we could visit with. Um, you don't bring brochures to a visit. So when we visit, you know, it's more casual. We're just getting to know each other. You know, when we visit, I can figure out if we're a fit. And what most people in sales will tell you is they know straight away whether, you know, they're a fit just by the early conversation, but they don't pay attention. They keep driving down that road going, I'm going to sell this person. And they wind up spending time with people they shouldn't be spending time with that will never buy from them. And if they do, they'll be a gigantic pain in the ass. So, you know, when you understand that you're going to gel with certain people, you know, they call it chemistry or, you know, uh, uh, whatever it is, those are the people you should be spending time with. So they're a fit. So let's visit. Let's figure out if we're a fit. Because if we're a fit, then we'll have the opportunity to provide value to each other and build a great life together. That is not necessarily about a transaction. You might introduce me to the biggest deal I ever do. Why would I not? Why isn't that value more or equal to you saying yes to a deal? I, I never understood that. So if you like me, but you don't buy, but you turn me on to five of the people who do, who's winning that game? You know, so, mm. so those three words, doesn't matter what category, price, um, you know, it doesn't matter. Those are ways to communicate with people that build trust right up front that says, hey, listen, I'm not walking in here going, I have the best solution. You should be doing this. I mean, I find LinkedIn hilarious that people in the financial space who have never met me want to handle my finances. I just want to let you know that we're the, we have the greatest solution. I'm like, seriously, I've never met you and you want to handle my money? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's like, seriously, what a waste of time. But somebody is teaching people to spam those messages and, you know, mass produce. I didn't do that. Um, our LinkedIn training is very different than everybody else. It is pure relationship driven. And if you do the right job, you build awareness out there, awareness creates consideration, consideration creates decision, and we've got more people making decisions than we know what to do with without asking. Wow, what a, what a concept. Wow. And, and can you explain to me, what does the perfect visit look like for you? So for someone that you, you don't know, so it might be the first time you've really met in person, play by play, like how much effort goes in before the visit? Um, what are the things you're thinking about? What are the things that you make sure you do early on to to build to make sure you have a good connection and that a good conversation comes out of this what what does a perfect visit look like for you so obviously the rules have changed post pandemic you know and i used to show up in person being on time being dressed properly you know to me it was really simple my nails were clean my shoes were you know my when i had hair it was combed you know so <laughs> the the simple basics about how to appear um, always rang true, but the fundamental nature of the conversation started with one question for 40 years. Hey, Devon, what's your story? You know, everybody has a story. What's your story? You tell me, 
And as long as you want to talk about it, whatever you tell me is important to you. And if I'm doing the right job listening, I'm picking up clues all along the way. Like, wow, man, this guy likes this and he does this. And wow, you know, and then ultimately, most of the time, you'll get to a point where you go, Steve, that was great. I love sharing with you. Why don't you tell me your story? And I'll go, well, I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, that give and take up front of really understanding who someone is and what's important to them, you make lifelong friends that way. You know, just understanding, uh, you know, one stu- one uh, example I use in the book was that we were talking, tra- doing a role model thing with a client, a role play, and said, Darlene, hey, you know, um, what's your story? You know, tell me something good. And she said, oh, my son just finished his second year at MIT. Oh, my God, that's fantastic. Tell me more. Boom. So she spent her whole time telling me about how proud she was of her son, all of the great achievements. Now, I have been doing business with her for 10 years since then. And every converse starts out with, tell me about your son. Where is he? Now he's a nuclear physicist at Stanford and he's got grants and he's sending people to the, you know, but it's always been a point of connection because it started out as something important to her. And so I think, you know, salespeople tend to make it all about themselves and their product yeah. and their time. And I need to sell you something. The more you make it about them, the more it's much easier. I've yet in my 40 plus years of being in the profession, I've never been anybody that didn't have a story, you know, so just <laughs> connect to their story and the riches are amazing. Yeah, I think I think salespeople have that reputation of it being all about them. Look at me, look how good looking I am, look how smart I am. Look how I'm the best person in the room. Or I need to do this today because my boss says I need to do this. (laughs) What do I need to do to get it done today? It's the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my life, you know. Yes, and I've got that target. I've got the pressure. I've got to hit this metric. Uh, And that is in in sharp contrast to what you just said, Uh, that ability to genuinely listen and I know from experience, people who are genuinely listening with their whole body, not just with the words that come out of their mouth, which can seem um, contrived, uh, there's a big difference between those people who are listening with their eyes, listening with their heart, listening with their entire soul, so to speak, as opposed to that, you know, I've got a process. The process says I've got to listen. I've got to you know, ask this question. If you spend, if you spend the right amount of time listening, you learn so much. Um, and so I'm a lifelong learner. And so for me, it's an information grab. What can you teach me that I don't already know or give me a new perspective or be a resource for me? Oh my God, you're in this space. And if I ever need somebody, I can come back and call on you. And so, you know, my network is so broad that I can go anywhere in the world and either stay with somebody or have dinner with somebody or whatever business I'm looking at investing in, I know the right people to call and say, hey, I'm thinking about getting in this space. What can you tell me that I need to know? And that only comes from years of listening and connecting and staying in touch. And um, it's just hard for people, especially new people getting in the space 
to overcome the pounding that they get from sales management to do it the wrong way. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. And I'd love to, I guess, follow up with that. It's like, what advice would you give someone who's just starting out and they would say, right, look, everything you're saying is great, but I'm too busy to build relationships. I need to hit a deadline tomorrow. What, what do you tell people who are new in the space and maybe feel that way? So, so my answer is find another profession because um, <laughs> you're, you're really not going to be successful. Um, the, the world is, of sales is very competitive. The, you deal with a lot of rejection. And if your metric is only driven by meeting someone else's quota, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to have any of the riches that the top 5% of salespeople get all the time, which is the people we get to do business with, you know? And so um, it, there's no substitute for the work. If you do the work and you stay patient, disciplined, and consistent, success could be for anybody, including someone who they say is too honest, which is ridiculous. I mean, can you imagine, <laughs> can you imagine someone saying that to you with a straight face? Like you're too honest. No, I think honesty is great. And I think genuine is, is great. And you know, if you, it's a people business, your inventory is the people, you know, and can engage with. And if you just do it in a process like I've done, you know, just simple metrics of five a day, did I develop five new relationships that I can be proud of, the numbers in sales will explode. You just got to stick to your guns and do it right. And one of the things that, I mean, you do with the daily huddle, right, is you you really help people to get that motivation, inspiration, and, and really that passion, right? Because I would imagine with sales, you, you hear no a lot. You probably get a lot of rejection along the way. How, how do you navigate that aspect of it? Because, I mean, we all face that you know, at some point in our life. But I think if you're in sales, you probably hear that more than most. How do you navigate that rejection, disappointment? So I learned early on that I needed to build a toolbox that guarded against that. Um, football players, at least American football players, don't go on the field without a uniform. They have a helmet and they have shoulder pads. And um, so for me, if you're going to be in sales, it's ultimately very important to build a toolbox of things that protect you against all of that negativity. So that's reading, reading the right stuff. That's eating the right stuff. That's having the right people around you. Most people are energy vampires. They suck the energy right out of you. And so having your own personal board of advisors, people who care about you and hold you accountable. And so it's all a matter of most people look at diet as just the food that they intake. Your diet is everything about what you watch, what you read, who you hang out with. And if you do that right from the start, and people call me all the time and say, listen, I can't afford you, but I need you. I do. I, give a, I do pro bono work all the time because if you don't ask, you don't get. And I love people who want to get better. And if you're willing to get better, um, all it is is building the right rituals and habits every day. And if you do it for 30 days, you're off to the races. 
and I think that self-care must be so important for you when you know when you're dealing with uh, you know the, the troubles of life, the troubles of sales, the rejections of, of sales. You come across as, and I'm sure you've been told this many times, as someone is having a lot of energy. You come across a, as high energy, full of life. And I remember listening to Tony Robbins talk, and he would say the definition of health is energy, uh, and that uh, that ability to be at your peak state and, and full of energy. Uh, you know, I know you've written the uh, 27 rules, and I'm sure that some of them help you to, to build that energy. But but what, what do you think of that? How do you sustain that, that fantastic energy you have? So, you know, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. I think success leaves clues. So I follow um, people who, um, you know, leave clues behind. Um, Michael Jordan talked about, or they talked about him with a term called in the zone. And he basically said, well, you can't physically be in the zone all the time because you'd burn out. So it's mental conditioning that says if I were to grade my energy every day on a scale of one to 10, well, I could self-assess where I am. And the key to being great in life is to figure out what you need to do to show up as a 10 all the time. Michael Jordan, when the lights went on, whether he was hurt or he had the flu or you know he lost a big gambling thing, didn't matter. He showed up as a 10 all the time. I was infatuated with that early on in my career. So what it turned out to me was I, as a student of the game, I thought about Popeye, the character Popeye, when Popeye had fear and doubt and all the things that all of us deal with on a regular basis, all he did was pop a can of spinach and he was full <laughs> of muscles and energy and whatever. So for me, early on in my career, it was figuring out what my spinach was. Was it reading something? Was it coffee? Was it food? Was it, you know, uh, music is an unbelievable change. Uh, it changes emotion. All of us have a favorite song. When you put on your favorite song, it changes your emotion. I will never do a presentation or a podcast or anything without listening to my music beforehand because it drives your energy. It changes your emotional state. So if you figure out that it's chemistry and physics and training um, and you're willing to make the commitment to never show up, people do this all the time. Ah, I'm just, you know, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm glad I was able to do your podcast. But, you know, I've had a really shitty day, so I'm just going to get through this or I'm just going to mail it in. Never happened in my life. Won't happen with my boys because it's not how we show up. We show up as a 10 all the time. And what you find out is that's where the magic is. So I want you to think about of all of us were standing in a room and I lit myself on fire, the entire universe would be looking at me. And that's really what I do every day is just show up on fire and people pay attention. So, <laughs> no, I, I, it's really that simple. It, so, it is. And I, and I love it. I love the, the, the honesty there because you're not like this all the time is the point. It's the ability to turn it on no, when you need to turn it on. No, it's the, the human emotion that sales professionals go through is, you know, or, or and, then Matt, and then double that as an entrepreneur. I mean, there are times I, I'm never going to do another deal. We're going out of business. I can't pay everybody. I mean, the dregs, you know, as low as you can be low. And then I get another phone call. That's a good call. And all of a sudden I'm fired up. <laughs> it's, you know, so understanding 
we, we called it early on in my career, the pendulum of pain. You're either freaking out like nothing's good or everything is so great. It's unbelievable. And you know, neither one lasts. It's finding that middle ground and understanding how to get there and stay there. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind with, to me is that, that idea of toxic positivity, that idea where if you're positive all the time and you're putting on a show, you could actually be really undermining or, or missing the opportunity really to build those deeper relationships that require a bit of vulnerability, kind of sharing the real stuff that's kind of going on in the background. And how, how do you kind of balance that? Because I know that you've got to be on, right, to be 100% and kind of be a 10 out of 10. But how do you kind of get to that next layer of deep relationships where you have to kind of show maybe some of the stuff that's not so great? So a common phrase that people use to train their kids is fake it till you make it. And I yeah. find that to be the worst advice ever because for me, it's act as if everything was great. So I'm mm. not faking. I'm acting as if I'm the CEO of the company all the time. What would the CEO do? You know, the CEO's not showing up at this event wallowing in his pity. The CEO has a responsibility. So this mindset of acting as if everything's fine or I have a responsibility. And so there's plenty of time to deal with your emotions the time and the place is not in front of other people. And so, uh, you know, again, that's mental conditioning. That's what are you willing to accept of your own behavior? My house could be on fire right now. You would never know it because I committed to be here with you and to give you the best I have. That is strictly conditioning. That is a, you know, a mindset that when you see high performers, you get that's what they do. That's what the Tom Brady's and the Le LeBron's and all of the, the great, great, great people understand. That, that's a good, a good analogy. Um, the analogy I think of is the pilot in the airplane. When the pilot is driving all the passengers and he goes through a, a big storm and things are turbulent, uh, what does the pilot say? He, he tends to say, ladies and gentlemen, we're going through a bit of turbulence. Might last for you know, a couple of seconds, but rest assured, I've got things under control and we'll be coming out of this pretty pretty shortly. Imagine if the pilot was different and he said, whoa, yeah. whoa, <laughs> did you feel that one? <laughs> that was a bit scary. <laughs> what was well, it, it's, funny you say, it's funny you say that because pre-pandemic, I was flying all over the world to speak and promote my book and whatever. And I used to look at the flight attendants. If they were cool, I was cool. The minute they would go, what was that? I was like, Oh, that's going to be a problem. So, you know, it's, uh, that's actually really funny, man. I hadn't thought about that in a while. So it's, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, the, the takeaway for all of this is that it's about mindset. What you allow your mind to think and fester on will hurt you or make you great. You know, it's just, um, and the greats um, always look at what's possible not what's not possible. And so for me, uh, you know, I've been in tons of situations that there really was no logical way out. It was a shitstorm. but what's possible? What could we do? What, you know, and people tend to follow leaders who are looking at, okay, what can we do? Because even if it's never been done before, 
is it possible? Could we do it? And we operate our business that way. What's possible? What could we do if, you know, nothing else mattered? And, you know, it's, again, that's where the magic is. And, and it all starts in your mind. Your mind is 60,000 negative thoughts go through your mind every day. If you don't have the right defenses and the right conditioning, you will get beat. And so are there people in your life where you maybe very intentionally kind of surround yourself with who are there to support you for those times when you need to process those emotions? Because, you know, you can't be on all the time. How do you... Are you you intentional about those people? Like, do you have people you go to to kind of talk about those things? So I I think if you look at business in general, most businesses have a board of directors or a board of advisors. I early on in my career was given the advice to have my own personal board of people that are about me as the CEO of my life. So I'm Steve Noodleberg. I'm the CEO of my own life. And I have a board of directors that I meet with once a quarter and I lay out what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And they call bullshit all the time or, you know, they give direction. And um, it's a it's a role that I take. um, I hire um, with with, you know, intent. I take it seriously. I take those people to dinner um, and, and it's become great. And one of the greatest things I offer to other people is to find their own board of advisors, uh, board of directors who help them get through life. Mentorship is huge. If you ask, most people are willing to send the elevator back down. And, you know, I'm fortunate to do that for other people, but people freak out and they go, wow, you have a coach too. I go, I have a coach. I have a board of advisors. Everything I tell you to do, I do because it works. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, who are young struggle to know how to ask for, for mentorship because I think there's probably a bad way to do it and a good way to do it. What is the best way to do it? So I don't think there's a bad or a good. I think, okay. uh, I think if you just ask, I think people have a hard time in general about asking for things. It's one of the hard, hardest parts in sales. So people get over the fear of the rejection if you're not worried about the rejection and you genuinely ask, the worst that can happen is someone says, no, I don't do that or I don't want to do that. Um, so if you're willing to deal with no, which is not that big a deal, there's absolutely no reason to ask any way that you're comfortable. Just, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Would you be interested? And the worst that they can say is no, and that's okay. You find somebody else. Mm, okay. But I would imagine that people who ask you for mentorship, for example, if they've already done the work and you know that, look, what you've already kind of put out there publicly, they're already doing that or doing what they can, you'd be looking at them much more closely and being much more willing to work with them than someone who just walks in kind of blase and just says, hey, can you mentor me? Does that have an impact on you? Well, I think anybody that I choose to work with has to show me how committed they are to getting better. And most people are not committed, unfortunately. So our filter of dealing with clients um, is very tight. Um, our time is valuable. Um, and I don't say that from a cocky standpoint, but I want to be there for people who are committed to the process. It's going to be hard. It's going to be time consuming. Consuming. There's going to be accountability issues. Um, but the work is deep. And when the work gets done, 
that's where all the rewards rewards are. And so this idea of being uncomfortable um, is really where all the gains are. And so if you're willing to push yourself into that zone where you're uncomfortable and you are taking direction from an outsider and, um, you know, having somebody, you know, pick at you. Yeah. Um, that's where all the growth is. And I hate being uncomfortable, but I've learned to be, that's, you know, I've learned to understand that's where my, that's where the power is. Yeah. And I think it's often that like, once that accountability hits in, you think, okay, well now I actually have to do something. I can't just kind of uh, nod my head along and, and go along with it. That accountability is very uncomfortable knowing that, oh, someone's going to check on me to know, <laughs> to know if I've actually done what I've been told to do. So I can definitely see how that could be a barrier. And yeah, I mean, why work with someone who is, really doesn't want that accountability to begin with, right? I mean, I learned that early in my career when I started working with CEOs who hired me for my knowledge and experience and then didn't really want to listen to what I was saying. I was like, well, why'd you hire me? Just <laughs> so that you can make yourself, yes, that you were right. Okay, you're right. I'm out. And I would leave and they would go, where are you going? And I go, you don't really want some consulting. You want to be right. Be right all day long. You're right. You know? so, well, and, and I think they think it's a silver bullet. They think if I just get a personal trainer, if I can just get a coach, then all my problems will go away. They'll fix it for me. But I think the truth is, you, in the end, it's still up to you to fix it, right? This is true. This is true. But I do value your time, Steve. So thank you Thanks. very much for having for coming on to the show. Uh, I've learned a ton. So I'm really grateful for you making the time with us. And I'm sure the audience as well will be finding a lot of value in, in what you've had to say today. I'm uh, happy, happy to have been here. I love the fact that we're across the globe and, you know, so whatever I can do beyond this, make sure uh, you reach out because I'd be happy to help. And lastly, how could people find you um, if they wanted to get in touch or, or know more, more about you? So I'm highly visible on all social media channels. We do the live show 8 a.m. Eastern time in the, you know, the American time zone. Um, but it's available all over LinkedIn, all over YouTube. And so at Noodleberg, you'd be hard pressed not to Google me and find any of my videos or my content. And I answer all my own emails, answer all my own social media. So if somebody reach out, reaches out, they will get a return from me. And that's uh, my favorite part is communicating with people who legitimately want to get better and have good questions. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Candor Communication Podcast. We'd love to hear what you think about this episode. You can connect with us by visiting our website, candorpodcast.com, where you can find show notes for this episode, or you can connect through our social media pages on Facebook or LinkedIn. Also, please remember to take a minute to rate and review the podcast. It really helps us to get the word out. Thanks. See you next time.